You are listening to the Speak Podcast. The podcast featuring talks from Speak, a public speaking platform for people with ideas and stories. Produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. Welcome to the Speak Podcast, produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. New episodes available every week on all your favorite podcast platforms. Speak is a public speaking platform for people with ideas and stories. Each Speak Talk features three key moments. The moment of truth, the moment of transformation, and the moment of impact. We host pop-up events all over the world, and now we are bringing our talks to your device. Our speakers are stepping onto the stage and into the spotlight, and now onto this podcast. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Speak Podcast, the first episode of 2024 as we return from holiday hiatus and we continue to bring you these incredible Speak Talks from pop-up events all over the world. I am your host for today, George Andriopoulos, the architect and one of the co-leaders here at Speak, and I am so excited and honored to be back here with you on our podcast. I just want to say that we're so thankful for our audience for supporting us not only on our stages not only on our YouTube channel and our social media, but here on this podcast that you guys have made so successful and so popular. So we thank you for continuing to listen to this platform on all different mediums because that's what this thing was about. We wanted you to be able to visually see these videos on YouTube and audibly listen to these on the podcast so that you can see how these translate through different mediums. Listening to something versus viewing something, it brings a different experience and we're happy that we could bring this multifaceted platform to you through Speak. So let's get this episode started. Today's episode is entitled The Spectrum of Overcoming, where you will hear three incredible talks from our amazing published speakers that we have featured today. And these talks discuss overcoming in so many different ways, and you'll see that through these different talks. We have speakers from Speak Freedom, which took place in July of 2023 on Long Island, New York. Speak Heritage, which also took place in July of 2023, and Speak Growth, our one-year anniversary event that took place on November 30th in Farmingdale, New York at the Nutty Irishman. Our first talk of this episode comes from published speaker Krista Janik. One fateful weekend with Vermont Adaptive Ski and Sports, Krista Janik began learning to ski without sight, achieving what she once thought was impossible. As a result, she stopped hiding and started sharing her personal story as a writer and amateur skier who just happens to be blind. We watch her journey of fear and triumph on the slopes of Vermont and let it inspire you to face your own fears because that's her hope for this talk. Fears big and small while embracing possibilities locked within the stories you tell. Krista wants you to discover why she found courage to flip the script on her blindness while empowering her ghostwriting and blogging clients to embrace their own stories of strength. This talk took place at Speak Freedom in Belmore, New York in July of 2023. And I think you're gonna be really excited about how Krista overcame to become the skier that she is today. So without further ado, here's Krista Janik with Freedom of a Blind Skier and Writer. 
Do you feel free to share your personal story with the world? I can't see you out there, so you need to shout out loud for me. Do you feel free? Yes? No? Yes. All right. I hear some brave people out there. That's great. Tell you the truth, though, I haven't always felt so free. If people learn about my blindness before they even meet me, will they think of me as able or just disabled? I used to shy away from my personal story, whereas now I embrace it. I speak about my journey as a writer and amateur skier who just happens to be blind. Three life lessons empowered me to do this. First, people are gonna tell stories about us whether we like it or not. So we might as well direct or influence the stories they tell. Picture this, I was all smiles, ready to accept an award from a nonprofit I cared about. I thought, hmm, maybe they're gonna talk about my writing ability. Hmm, maybe they're gonna talk about some of the other work I did with them. The lady on stage starts telling my story and it goes something like this. Krista's blind. She always shows up, even though she has to take the bus everywhere. She's amazing. Oh, amazing, amazing. Well, I, at that point, stopped hearing the rest of the story she told me. I wanted to sink into the floor. You know why? Because my blindness was on that stage and not me. Not Krista Janik, the writer, the creative, not my story. Maybe she just wanted to inspire the world to show up more in their lives, and that's a wonderful sentiment. And yet, I felt invisible in that moment. Now, though, I look back with gratitude. That moment empowered me to feel the consequences of letting others craft my story and to choose a different path. You might wonder why was I hiding my own story all these years, even while I wrote about other people's stories professionally? Here's the thing. When we meet people with disabilities, we often feel amazed. And that sounds like a wonderful word, doesn't it? At the same time, amazing can come with a dark side. Low expectations, self-fulfilling prophecies, and even hesitation to hire someone with a disability because we don't even know if anyone with that disability can possibly do the job. I wish everyone knew that people with disabilities, people like me, can achieve so much more than society leads us to believe, as long as we're willing to think outside the, the typical boxes to get it done. I wish we all grew up learning 
that people with disabilities are as capable as anyone else of achieving the impossible. Hey, that's the second thing I learned. Find the impossible people. Sounds like a superhero, right? Nope. When you think something's impossible, find somebody who's already done it. Because that's when your world just might change. 11 years ago, my martial arts sensei introduced me to my impossible people. The ones running a ski weekend for the blind and visually impaired at Vermont Adaptive Ski and Sports with the United States Association of Blind Athletes. I was like, wow, are they crazy? <laughs> Is the term blind skiing just an oxymoron? And then I thought, gosh, I'm so curious though. So I picked up the phone and asked a million questions. Am I gonna get hurt? What's your training and experience like? Does everyone come back in one piece? Oh, and by the way, am I gonna get hurt? The director at Vermont Adaptive answered my questions and then he asked me, why don't you come out on the snow? Get a taste, see if it's for you. Yeah, maybe I need to be in the environment first to see if I can and should face my fear. Fear is so important. We all have it and we all face it. What do we do to face fears? That's the third thing I discovered. Tiny steps lead to giant leaps. Everything is a step from picking up that phone in the first place, booking the trip, getting on the plane, and meeting those warm, wonderful, welcoming volunteers. I learned to walk in those clumsy ski boots and boy, were they painful. I learned to balance on the skis by feel and to follow the instructions of my ski guides. It was truly a team effort as my ski instructor and guides literally forged a safe path for us across the slopes. I'll never forget that first day the peppery snow on my face, the swoosh of the skiers going by, the cheery voices all around, the feel of the fall line under my feet, and oh my goodness, I was so scared. What have I gotten myself into? And yet, at the same time, the momentum of all those small steps propelled me forward to realize that, wait a minute, this blind skiing thing? It's possible, even for me. I'll never forget that first time when they gave me this little push down that little hill. I was skiing, I was gliding, it was like magic, I was flying, and then I was falling. I got back up again to ski some more. Because I found my impossible people, because I took those tiny steps and that giant leap, I was able to flip the script on my blindness. No longer did it need to linger in the background as part of my untold story. Why should it? I faced fear 
and overcame a challenge that inspired me. That is key. Other people feel amazed, but I needed to amaze myself. I also needed a strong story that was relatable. Sure, you all haven't skied with your eyes closed, but everyone's faced fear. Everyone's been afraid. Who out there has faced fear? Yeah. We wouldn't be human without facing our fears. If I hadn't found my impossible people, faced my fear, I wouldn't be on the stage today. This experience has been so different than any other speaking I've ever done in my life. When I found out about this wonderful opportunity to tell this story on the stage, right here in person, I was so nervous. And yet, if I could flip the script on my blindness, then what else could I achieve that I previously thought was impossible? Thank you. That was Krista Janik with Freedom of a Blind Skier and Writer. And man, does this hit home with the theme of Spectrum of Overcoming for this episode. We were so excited to feature Krista on this stage, and she was just such a joy to deal with. So thank you so much, Krista, for this incredible talk. Next up, we have a speaker from our Speak Heritage event, which took place in Levittown, New York, in July of 2023. I'm going to let the producer of that event, Dana Lopez, take it from here. Hi, this is Dana Lopez, and I had the pleasure of producing the pop-up event Speak Heritage on July 27th, 2023 in Levittown, New York. We had an amazing lineup of 10 speakers who spoke very raw and very real about their backgrounds and their cultures and their heritages. This next speaker found a community by actually feeling like she wasn't a part of one. And that was what I found so interesting. She was a speaker for Speak Heritage back in July 2023, which I was very proud to be able to produce that event. And she connected with her community in such a way that really made an impact on not just her family, but families all over Long Island. So I just want to introduce a friend of mine and a published speaker Dorothy Santana with her talk, Setting the Table for Strong Connections. Close your eyes. No, really, close your eyes. Imagine, what do you see when you hear the name Dorothy Henry? Do you see Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz? Do you see a tall or white-haired woman? Maybe you see Dorothy from the Golden Girls. Now, open your eyes. Well, I'm not always what people imagine when they hear my name as I walk in the room. The daughter of a Colombian mother, a white American father, curly hair, dark skin. Well, that's me. Being born of two ethnicities, it was kind of hard to feel that sense of pride and ownership of one or the other. And growing up, especially in the old school Latino community, I often had interactions like this. Oh, what are you? Oh, I'm Colombian. Really, what part of Colombia are you from? Well, my mom is from Barranquilla, um, and I was born here. Oh, so your mom is Colombian, but you're Americana, leaving me feeling very awkward and unsure about myself and my identity. Well, this went on 
for years as I allowed people to define me based on their ideas of how people should identify. I still feel a sense of, my name doesn't really match how I look, so. But it's okay, I'm proud of my name. Dorothy, gift of God. You like it, right? Antonia, which is my abuela's name, and Henry, since I adored my father. Well, fast forward years later, I recall the day going to City Hall in Queens to apply for our marriage license. Well, I teared up at the idea of giving up my name to take on the name of my Puerto Rican husband, Santana. Remember that, honey? Well, I did it on that paper, but I never changed it with Social Security. I started hyphenating. I still found my taxes as Dorothy Henry, but everybody knows me as Dorothy Santana. Being raised by my mom, in, immersed in lots of different Latino communities, I felt drawn to my Latino heritage. And I was happy that I took on the name Santana, because you have to admit, it's a pretty cool name. N no relation to Carlos. We get asked that all the time. But then, becoming a mom, I had always wished that my Puerto Rican, Colombian, American-born kids wouldn't go through those identity issues like I did. But, you know, wishes don't always come true. One day, my then six-year-old son, on the stairs of our Long Island home, said to me, Mommy, I wish my skin was pink. I wish my skin was pink like Johnny. And I heart sank as I replied to him, Papi, your skin is beautiful just the way it is, the way God made it. He made us all beautiful in different colors so that the world can be like a rainbow. Well, I had been intentional about our parenting. So, you know, I was cooking traditional foods. Arroz con habichuelas, chuletas, pollo guisao, teaching my kids how to make arepas and empanadas. I'm sorry, I know you're getting hungry. Well, even in car rides, we'd sing along to Juanes, Carlos Vives, Today Bad Bunny. I even enrolled my daughter in a cultural dance company, which were some of my proudest moments. I recall the day after her first dance recital, dancing to Celia Cruz's, Ay, no hay que llorar, la vida es un carnaval, la 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 la, oh, ay, no hay que llorar. Anyway, you know the song. Well, she came off that stage excitedly calling out, I love it, I feel it in my soul. And I thought, Wow, my little Latina is proud. But I still had some doubts about our move to Long Island. I didn't always feel that connected. I realized how segregated we were, not to mention how expensive it is. 
it was where we were at. And there were times that I felt like I was alone. But the moms here, you know, they were great. I just needed that sense of connection. And I realized sometimes when I'd run into other moms, Latina moms, I felt that, that sense of connection. You were uh, excited. It was exhilarating, like seeing an old friend or a sister. We connected and we talked. We talked about our culture, identity, and what it was like raising our kids on Long Island. Well, we weren't alone in our struggle. There were lots of moms having these feelings and experiences that I was having. We just needed a space. We needed a space to connect. Moms needed to feel welcomed. They wanted to feel welcomed at the table, whatever table that was, school functions, the PCA, their jobs, the baseball fields, the boardroom. They wanted that space to feel welcome and connected. So I looked. I looked everywhere. I Googled it. I Facebooked it. I Twittered it. I couldn't find anything that had to do with Latina moms. So in 2014, I created it. I created the space for moms to come together and talk about parenting, culture, identity, and raising your kids on Long Island. Well, it wasn't enough, because it was online. And we really needed that sense of personal, intimate connection. And you know, you can only do that in person. And so we did. We had our first in-person event called Sofrito Sunday. Wow, it was amazing. So there, you know, Sofrito is that Puerto Rican cooking base that makes Puerto Rican food just taste so good. It's a blend of fresh garlic, recao, cilantro, onions. I'm sorry, I know you're getting hungry again. I digress. Well, I knew how important this was. When one mom cried as she entered the room that was filled with the aroma of cilantro, she recalled how the memories had warmed her heart of the, her grandfather's farm in Puerto Rico and how long it had been since she had smelled that beautiful fragrance. You had to be there. Anyway, we still do this today and more. We have activities like bochinche brunch, and we celebrate the holidays with Dia de los Reyes, Dia de los Muertos. We even organize parrandas. Now, if you don't know what a parranda is, it's like a holiday caroling event on steroids, right? It's a Puerto Rican traditional caroling event where we go house to house singing traditional Puerto Rican songs, drinking the best holiday beverage ever, Coquito, you know it. Now, those of you who don't know Coquito, you're gonna have to join us in December. <laughs> well, these are those amazing experiences that our grandparents, abuelos, abuelas, tias, and tios had that we have to stay connected to and keep alive for our children. We have to make sure that we're passing them on it's amazing. Now our parents, so many moms have come together and families that have sat at our tables and have said, we too have become more intentional about our parenting. And now have said that 
being part of these activities has like been um, a hug to their soul and how it's made them feel whole. It's beautiful. A lot of great things have happened since then too. We've been featured in Newsday a couple of times. We've been on ABC7's Tiempo with Joe Torres a couple of times. And I was even invited to a national TV talk show, Tamarin Hall, to talk about Sofrito Sunday, where, to my surprise, I was gifted an all-expense-paid trip to Colombia for me and my family. It'll be our first time to visit our motherland. So keep traditions, set your table, and connect. Thank you. Thank you, Dana, for introducing Dorothy Santana with another powerful story of overcoming. Our final talk for today comes from our Speak Growth event, which took place on November 30th in Farmingdale, New York. And that was the event that marked our one-year anniversary. November 17th of 2022, just over a year prior, right next door to this venue, we had our very first pop-up event, Speak Beginnings. And one year later, we were just so excited to be able to come back to where it all started and throw this incredible event. Leah Garinas, the published speaker who was featured right now, actually closed our show with such a powerful talk. I happen to have a personal connection with Leah Garinas and her family. And as you'll hear in this talk, this talk is just so powerful. And I'm going to warn individuals listening that if you have any kind of triggers towards sick children or cancer, I warn you ahead of time that this is a really powerful and emotional talk. Without further ado, here's Leah Garinas with Hope Never Fails. Hope is a very powerful thing. Without realizing it, we hope for different things all day and every day. We hope for small things. I hope I get to work on time. I hope Starbucks gets my coffee right because they messed it up last time. I hope I get that job promotion. Sometimes we have to hope for big things. I hope I get married and have a family or even bigger things. For food, hope for safety, hope for survival. Sometimes we find ourselves in a situation where we think no hope exists. My husband and I are in the business of promoting hope. My husband is a Greek Orthodox priest, and his life's ministry is helping people find hope through faith and prayer. I'm about to be a registered nurse in a year, and nurses have to help their patients and their family members find hope in the most difficult times. Growing up, and even in my adult years, I never found myself in a situation where hope was all I had. I even remember as a child thinking how rare and even odd it was that I never had anything major going on in my life. I just followed the protocol of growing up, getting married, 
and having kids. And then something very odd happened when I became a parent. I realized that when you become a parent, you realize more and more of all the things that could potentially go wrong with your kids. And you find yourself in a constant state of hope. I hope I have a kid with 10 fingers, 10 toes, healthy kid, no medical problems. I hope I have a happy kid who's smart, who has friends, who's talented, who's not tone deaf, and I have a background in music, so having a kid who's not tone deaf is crucial. And I think this process is natural for all parents to go through. It's what keeps us up at night when we have this little baby wrapped up and that only knows how to eat, sleep, pee, and poop. But a few months after our oldest son, Constantine, our healthy baby boy, was born, I found myself worried for him more than the normal worries that parents experience. Not worried like, oh, I hope he grows up and he's okay, yada, yada, but I mean, waking up in the middle of the night, crying uncontrollably for reasons I couldn't explain. Crying as if something awful had already happened to him or was going to happen to him. Like I woke up crying from a horrible nightmare. I mean, I blamed postpartum hormones, the stress of moving from the city to Queens to Long Island, buying a home, my husband getting a new job, and anything else that I could think of. But in the back of my mind, I felt this odd sadness every time I looked down at his sweet face and his cute little chubby cheeks. And I hoped that what I was feeling would never come true and just remain a horrible thought. Well, five years ago, those horrible thoughts became real. Constantine, who was just shy of six years old, became sick with months of unexplainable nausea, vomiting. He looked and felt miserable all the time. He was losing weight. And every doctor attributed the symptoms to different things, and none of it made sense. But in my gut, and as a mom, I knew it was something bigger, and it was something worse. And I was right. We finally did a CAT scan of Constantine's head, and the neurosurgeon took me and my husband to a private conference room in the hospital with a slew of other doctors, and they told us we found a sizable brain tumor, and it's cancer. I never felt what rock bottom was until that moment. My husband and I felt it so hard. We literally couldn't breathe. When I finally could come up for air, I had to ask the hard question, is my child going to die? And there it was, that instant suspense of wanting an answer that contained a glimmer of hope. Well, we didn't get immediate answers. We were forced 
to remain in that state of suspense for months. Yes, they got the tumor out. Yes, we had a plan for his treatment. Yes, his prognosis looked pretty good, and time would really tell what his percentages looked like. But the reality is that coming out of that state of suspense, that rock bottom, doesn't happen easily. Our family felt like we were climbing a winding staircase going nowhere. And you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And no matter how hard you try, you're reminded every day that your kid is still so sick. And in my mind, I kept replaying those awful words in my head and still seeing my son. His body was wrecked, like he was dangling by a thread, recovering ever so slowly from the aftermath of intense brain surgery. I kept replaying the night they told us his diagnosis in my mind. I couldn't get that room out of my head. In the beginning, I couldn't process anything anyone was telling me. But I remember that room. That room was my nightmare come true. And we had to act and pretend as if everything was okay. So we could give our son hope, even though the reality was we were hanging on by a thread. What kept us in one piece was our faith in God, a lot of prayer from a lot of people, and something someone said to me. Our faith never left us. I knew from the very beginning that God would watch over my son no matter what the outcome. Either he was going to be healed with us by God's grace, or he was gonna go to God and be healed with him. Our Greek Orthodox community came, came to our immediate rescue. They prayed with us and for us. They visited us. They gave us their abundant love so freely and unconditionally that it was literally the only thing that got me on my feet every morning, and it helped for some time. But I couldn't get out from reliving my nightmare. No matter how hard I tried, no matter how positive I tried to be, I was forced every day to go into that hospital and walk past that conference room. That room that I couldn't even look at a daily reminder that normal was gone, a daily reminder that our son couldn't walk, couldn't talk, and was still sick every day. That room caused me to question whether I would ever get my son fully back. Somewhere I had accepted that he would never smile again, never play again, never sing again. And no matter what we did, no matter how hard we tried, he would never fully heal. And hope 
was harder and harder to come by until one day, my husband and I were paid a visit from a married couple whom we love very dearly and look up to. They're the type of people who always have something impactful to say when you're around them. The wife was also a breast cancer survivor, so it meant so much to have her there because she was another survivor in the room, another fighter, another warrior to give our son strength and encouragement. Little did I know, she came for me. Without her knowing it, without her knowing it, she got me out of the void of darkness and sadness and anger that I had been feeling for weeks. When people would come to visit us after Constantine's diagnosis and surgery, my husband and I would have to recount every single detail from the moment of his diagnosis to the present because everyone was just as in shock and disbelief as we were. And we were telling this couple everything. And I said to them, we took Constantine for the CT scan. The doctors took us into that room. Awful room that I hate, that I want to burn to the ground. And I told the doctors, I knew it. I knew it for so long. I knew it was so bad, and no one listened to us. And very calmly, the wife said to me, oh, you can't hate that room. That room was the beginning of his healing. Thank God for that room. She said it just like that, like it was nothing, like it was the most easy concept. And I couldn't see it until she said it. From that moment on, I was no longer trapped in that room. And in that void and in that darkness was immediately gone. And slowly but surely, I realized why everything had to happen the way it happened. I truly believe that the sequence of events from even before his diagnosis gave room for the time and space for many miracles to happen. Miracles of his physical recovery. He walked again, he talked again, he played again and smiled again. Miracles of creating and building lasting relationships from even strangers and from people who lifted us up and advocated for us. And most importantly, to see God's work and purpose in everything. He was with us every step of the way. He never left us. From that moment on, I never wanted to reverse time to go back to normal. I want to be here, right here, right now, grateful for every hurdle we had to jump over, and knowing that there's hope for any battle yet to come. When Constantine was diagnosed with cancer five years ago, that room where we were told the news of his diagnosis 
represented the void of darkness that was about to overtake our lives. That void was unending and where only hopelessness existed until I changed my perspective and I could see things clearly. Until that moment, I couldn't fully see that not only was that room the beginning of our son's healing, but it was be the beginning of our healing through the transformative power of hope. Hope that was born out of a loving and supportive community and faith. Today, our family can proudly say that Constantine is five years cancer-free. And although we are never certain of the future, we choose to hope, to live by hope, because hope always exists. Thank you so much. That was Leah Garinas with Hope Never Fails. That was such an incredible talk. She was such a pleasure to work with, and man, what a roller coaster that was. I happened to be one of the producers of that specific event, and so I worked with the speakers of that event. And Leah was just going through a time during the time that we actually put this talk together. And it was really difficult to kind of sit down and piece this talk together during the few meetings that we had. But Leah really powered through, and in the end, she came with so much energy and such an important talk of this story of how her son overcame and how her family overcame her son's cancer diagnosis. I'm happy to say that five years later, Constantine, her son, is cancer-free and is thriving and is an incredible child, as this family is an incredible family. So congratulations to the Greenest family and congratulations to Leah on such a powerful talk. That does it for this episode of the Speak Podcast. Join us again next week for another three more talks, another episode with talks full of those three powerful moments, the moment of truth, moment of transformation, and the moment of impact, and another week of creating impact for you guys. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Speak Podcast is brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios, executive produced by Fred P. Banning, Jason Martin, and George Andriopoulos. Our theme song, Champions Day, is by Lupus Nocti. Incidental music, Melting Places, is by Andreas Kantu. Music and sound effects licensed through Epidemic Sound. The Speak Podcast is hosted with Podbean. Make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it. Follow Speak at Speak underscore event on Twitter and at Speak event on all other social media platforms. Visit our website, speakevent.com, for upcoming events, channel partner, sponsorship, and Speak at Work opportunities. And follow all the great podcasts produced by Lunchpad 516 Studios.